Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this podcast series where we share conversations with colleagues exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice which I hope will be applicable for our medical practices. In this podcast episode, we're talking with an expert about multiple myeloma. The term multiple myeloma was introduced in 1873 by von Rostiski when at autopsy he found eight separate tumours of the bone marrow in a patient described as soft in consistency and reddish in colour, a fence called multiple myeloma. Today, over 2,400 Australians are diagnosed annually with multiple myeloma. Slightly more common in men with an average age of onset at 70 years, myeloma accounts for 10% of all hematologic malignancies and about 2% of all cancers diagnosed. The five-year survival is about 51%, and with improving therapy options and life expectancy, primary practitioners are very likely to be involved in the shared care of myeloma patients. Each year, just over 1,000 patients die as a direct consequence of this condition. An abnormal clone of immunoglobulin-producing plasma cells is responsible for the disease, and a precursor called monoclonal gammopathy of uncertain significance, MGUS, found in 4% of patients, progresses to myeloma at a rate of about 1% per year. The presenting symptoms of myeloma may be remembered by the mnemonic CRAB, standing for hypercalcemia, renal impairment, anemia, and bone pain or pathological fractures, CRAB. Myeloma is not hereditary, but may be influenced by radiation exposure and some viruses such as HIV. In about 80% of cases, entire immunoglobulin is secreted by the abnormal plasma cells. In just under 20%, light chains alone are secreted. These paraproteins may be measured by electrophoresis in the blood or urine in the case of the light chains, which are filtered through nephrons, the so-called Benz-Jones proteins. In less than 2% of cases, myeloma is non-secreting. Radiology, including plain X-ray and CT, bone marrow biopsy and cytogenetics are also essential in patient workup. We'll discuss this with our guest in more detail shortly. The treatment is complex, including a host of therapies such as thalidomide and lenolidomide dexamethasone enhancing T-cell and NK-cell activity, cyclophosphamide and melphalan, which are alkylating agents, bortezomib, a proteasome inhibitor, which inhibits the so-called garbage disposal systems within cells, histone deacetylase inhibitors inducing cell cycle arrest, monoclonal antibodies, radiation of bone deposits, and of course the very important stem cell transplantation and in some cases palliation. And we'll discuss these therapies, as complex as they are, as well as risk stratification and prognosis with our guest, Dr. Jeremy Err. Jeremy is a haematology fellow at Peter McCullum Clinic, Melbourne, where he's undertaking a PhD on multiple myeloma, investigating growth factors, influencing myeloma, and he brings incredible enthusiasm and great passion in expanding our therapeutic options and success in treating myeloma. Please welcome Jeremy Err. Jeremy, thank you very much to Everyday Medicine. I really appreciate, Jeremy, you making the time uh, to come. And it's Sunday night, and <laughs> you're the only one that's actually kept the appointment with me for this interview. So <laughs> this week, I've had a bad week. So I'm really, really uh, honoured to have you here, Jeremy. Thank you. No, thanks for the much. invitation, uh, Luke. Yeah, it's really, really nice of you. And we, we're talking about multiple myeloma, which uh, from my reading is the 11th most common cancer in Australia. It accounts for about 10% of hematological malignancies. And there are about 2,500 cases diagnosed annually in Australia, which is quite a few, 2% of all uh, cancers. And of course, through the, the, the workings of, of you, Peter Mack, you know, great hematology oncologist, 
we're seeing uh, the life expectancy um, expanded and a lot of these patients we're now seeing in primary care. So most of us that don't necessarily deal with myeloma specifically are still going to be uh, involved one way or another with myeloma patients. So I thought it was very interesting subject to talk about with you. Yeah. And before we expand on that, I'd like to talk about your journey, Jeremy, because uh, you're doing a PhD at Peter Mac. Tell me a little bit about it. Where have you come from? How have you got to where you are? Yeah, I I finished my hematology um, training um, about now, probably about a year and a half ago, um, and decided to do a, a clinical myeloma fellowship at uh, Peter McCallum Cancer Centre uh, last year. And yeah, sort of while I was doing that, um, and um, like you said, you know, this is a very exciting feel you know there's a lot of new developments in in myeloma especially a lot of new therapies and obviously a lot of new ways we can uh, sort of um, monitor the diseases as well so uh, but it's still an incurable uh, disease um, and there's still uh, a lot that we don't uh, understand uh, about the disease and um, you know uh, even with the, the new therapies um, these days the immunotherapies I think is sort of what's being used in, in that sort of the hematology and oncology space um, you know uh, myeloma is still incurable at this point in time and essentially patients are still uh, resistant to to these therapies so yeah, sort of a, uh, I think a, a sort of a, in some sense, a natural uh, progression where um, I've, you know, always been a bit of a, a science uh, nerd and, you know, want to understand the disease uh, more. And I guess that's that's part of the reason why I did uh, hematology as well, sort of did, being. Did you train in Melbourne? Are, are you a Melbourne graduate? Uh, yes, yeah, Melbourne, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I did my um, uh, training in, in Geelong and, and Peter Mac um, and in Royal Melbourne um, as well. Um, yeah, so so sort of uh, you know with hematology, um, you can sort of opt to do uh, the physician side, clinical side of things, and yeah. the pathology side of things, which uh, uh, I ended up doing both. And so yeah, and and sort of my PhD, uh, sort of I think the opportunity uh, arose with um, my my supervisor at, at Peter Mac, uh, Professor Simon Harrison, was already collaborating uh, with a scientist at uh, WeHi, the Walter and Eliza Hall uh, Research Institute, um, and, and doing um, sort of quite uh, interesting and advanced imaging uh, of, of the bone uh, marrow um, in, in sort of mice models. And so, yeah, what my PhD is, is looking at is, is how um, the uh, bone marrow microenvironment uh, is, is involved in, in um, myeloma and, and how uh, that sort of um, uh, regulates myeloma cell uh, survival and proliferation, and 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 at the same time using uh, those those mouse models, uh, how we can understand uh, and and use these immunotherapies um, uh, uh, better as well, and and um, essentially trying to understand the mechanisms of resistance with these these therapies, um, and so so that yeah we can uh, eventually want you know find a cure for for myeloma is, is enhance the treatment it's, it's fascinating there's so yeah. much work going on and, and yeah. i've had some interesting conversations with hematologists now about lymphoma and yeah your, your mate tom who's yeah. a lovely guy and yeah. uh you know it, it, hematology is it's a real frontier isn't it and what yeah. you're doing is it's 
you know, we're so lucky to have people like you doing uh, research and expanding our understanding of science. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's a lot to talk about with myeloma. The, the average age is about 70, I understand. Yeah. yeah. But there's another condition. Can we just talk about briefly um, monoclonal gammopathy of uncertain significance, which is about 4% of people are said to have that from about the age of 50 with 1% progress to myeloma each year. Tell us a bit about yeah. that. What, what is that condition? Yeah. So... Um, essentially, all cases of, of myeloma are preceded by this condition that you mentioned, um, monoclonal gammopathy of um, uh, undetermined significance. Um, and like you said, about 3% of the population uh, above uh, age 50 uh, have it, and, and they can progress to uh, myeloma about 1% per year. And it essentially, is uh, when patients have uh, this detectable monoclonal um, immunoglobulin or the PAR protein um, that we uh, detect when, when you do a, a serum uh, PAR protein electrophoresis or uh, even uh, free light uh, chains um, done on, on the blood. Um, and and um, the uh, IMWG, which is the International Myeloma Working Group, essentially de- defines this as when uh, you have less than 10% of plasma cells in, in your bone marrow and sort of no uh, end organ uh, dysfunction um, is essentially is, is when when we would um, label and I guess diagnose this this condition. And guess how do we uh, how would you sort of pick it up if you're a clinician and you're doing full so and, yeah LFCs and so forth? How would you know that the patient had that? What are you looking for as a clinician? Because it's quite think, common. Oh, it's yeah, really yeah, like, like that's a high yeah, figure. Yeah, yeah, I'm heading yeah, like, but I'm in that sort of you know lofty age group. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I think. Um, uh yeah it's it's sort of done i think when sort of the common referrals that that i get i think usually uh sort of a renal dysfunction so i think um uh, a lot the of work up work up someone who's got a bit of renal impairment yeah yeah, yeah. It's a lot of uh, uh you know gps or even renal physicians uh yeah. will do that as as part of the screen uh and, and and anemia um as well as probably you know i think one one of the the common um uh sort of i think yeah uh reasons that they would do the test and then after we would need to determine is is that an anemia from myeloma um and i think um not even frequently sort of in terms of as a workup uh for fatigue or even just as a Right. for lymph, lymphoma because some some of the other uh, indolent lymphomas can also produce a, a power protein right. Uh, right. as well so yeah i would say those are the so uh, mild anemia fatigue bit of renal impairment normal chronic normal anemia and we start yeah yeah usually maybe we should yeah. do a, a protein electrophoresis yeah. yeah. and, and yeah. they do so they may be secreting light chains so we should be doing a urinary light uh, yeah. analysis light chains, for yeah. those proteins yeah okay yeah. Yeah. And and how do you, are you going to check those patients on an annual basis? Like there is a one percent risk of myeloma. Yeah, yeah. So there there is sort of a, a, a number of uh, risk factors uh, in terms of determining um, the risk of, of progression. So um, uh, usually those patients who at first obviously we want to establish that it, it's not uh, myeloma or symptomatic myeloma or even uh, smoldering uh, myeloma, and, and th- these are patients who have. Uh, more than ten percent of plasma cells in in, in their bone marrow, um, or, or have any evidence of the end organ damage that we'll talk about. But yeah, usually um, if there's sort of a few risk factors for uh, 
higher progression, such as if their, their power protein or their M protein is more than 15, if it's a non IgG subtype, or if they've got an abnormal free light chain ratio. So, um, there is a, a score that we can use to, to, to sort of predict the risk of progression. And in general, yeah, most, most patients will get monitored every three to six months to monitor uh, some, a bit of a trend of the, the power protein and, and, and see if, if it's stable um, or not. Um, and yeah, if, if, if they don't have any of those risk factors, then usually, you know, they, most of them can be, patients can be monitored every, and monitored every six to 12 months. Um, okay. Depends, so depending on the risk stratification. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The patients probably Probably should be referred to a hematologist by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah, I think they should yeah, at least be evaluated by a hematologist to determine. Yeah, yeah. If, if this is just really MGUS uh, or, or you know some something else. Um, yeah, and and you know if it's stable, um, if it's a low risk um, uh, MGUS, then you know some hematologists even um, discharge them back to their GPs to be monitored. You know, six to twelve months, and if there's any rise in the power protein, you know they can always refer them back okay. to so when we say 10 percent, less than 10 percent of the bone marrow is expanded by plasma cells are you implying yeah. that these patients will often end up having a bone marrow is that necessary for um, those patients no not not yeah not we we don't routinely um uh, do a bone marrow but like yeah i think if it's that uh, if it's a non-IgG uh, uh, power protein, um, if it's sort of like more than 15 grams per liter, then, you know, we would usually discuss uh, that uh, with, with the patient. Might push yeah. you over into that decision. Like, What's that? Yeah, yeah. Might, might push you into that decision. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the trend of the power protein as well, you know, if it, it is rising um, over that, that three to six month period, then, you know, you, you know that things are possibly progressing and yeah, then, then you would, you know, go and do, do a bone marrow to evaluate um yeah you know is this is this myeloma or yeah is this is this still in that well uh, tell us tell us about yeah. that then when we've progressed on to the diagnosis of multiple myeloma how do you know that what what, what are the key yeah so so there is that? um there is a condition um so so when you talk about the the diagnostic criteria um of of mgas apart from the less than 10 percent of plasma cells the the m protein also needs to be less than um uh, 30 grams per liter um, and the, the urine protein also has to be less than 500 milligrams uh, over 24 hours and obviously no uh, you know myeloma defining events um, and then um, then there's another condition called smoldering myeloma or, or indolent myeloma where these patients have um, 10 to 60 percent uh, uh, plasma cells in the, in the bone marrow and and sort of Having said that, they're on yeah. the cusp. On the cusp of becoming yeah. more aggressive. Mm. Yeah, 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 and and sort of just yeah, if, if people aren't aware, sort of less than five percent of plasma cells is what we would consider normal in in, in the bone marrow. And so yeah, so smoldering myelomas when someone has ten to sixty percent plasma cells. Uh, and or if their power proteins less than uh, more than 30 grams per liter, or if they have more than uh, 500 uh, milligrams um, per 24 hours of, of protein in your of that that monoclonal protein in your urine, and and of course they cannot have any sort of myeloma defining uh, events. Um, and and then with sort of symptomatic uh, myeloma, 
um, uh, it, it's uh, more than 10% plasma cells. Um, and essentially what defines is, is, is you, you have that crab uh, symptom uh, and it could be any level of, of power protein or urine um, protein uh, as well. So yeah, essentially what defines that in myeloma is, is those symptoms, um, which uh, I think that, you know, the, the crab, uh, symptoms that we learn in medical schools is, is hypercalcemia, um, uh, the, the renal insufficiency, yes. anemia, and the bone lesions. Yes. Um, and there, they are, um, this is probably a bit more, um, sort of a, a bit more sp- specific where the, there's also another slim uh, criteria that the International Myeloma Working Group um, identified uh, in, uh, probably about quite a number of a couple of years ago, um, where there's um, if you have more than 60% uh, plasma cells in your bone marrow, um, or if you have uh, involved uh, over uninvolved uh, free light chain ratio more than 100, uh, and you and you have more than one uh, focal lesion um, on an MRI. MRI um, in, in your bone, um, then these patients would be uh, considered to have symptomatic myeloma. So this extra mm. three criteria, um, yes. which um, uh, we, we sort of monitor now. Uh, yeah, it's well. complicated. There's always these little kind of, you know, exceptions and outliers, aren't there, yeah. these diagnoses. Yeah. Uh, well, that's very helpful. So now we've got the diagnosis of myeloma based on those those yeah. features, and yeah. they will, all, will almost always have had a bone marrow at that point. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm going to ask you, you know, what's happening on a sort of pathological level? You've got this plasma cell expansion. Yeah. Um, and then you've got paraproteins being uh, secreted, which yeah. might be completely intact. Uh, yeah whole paraproteins, often IgG, IgA class, but you might just have light chains, about 80% whole, 80% light chains, and there's a small group that don't secrete anything at all. But what's happening with the the chromosomal abnormalities? What what, what are you looking for when you take a bone marrow? Are you looking at the number of you're looking to see how much how much plasma cell involvement there's, but are you also doing cytogenetics on that? Or are you yeah, it on yeah, the yeah. Like like you said, um, yeah, we're also looking at yeah, we're not only looking at you know the the morphology and how many uh, percentage of the plasma cells we're we're looking at are, are these. Uh, often they, you know, they'll get sent off uh, to do flow cytometry yes. um, to, you know, we, we to determine that these are clonal uh, plasma cells because there, there can be other uh, conditions. You know, some someone that has an infection can mount a, you know, yes. a immune response, and you can get a polyclonal right. population. So that that's yes. quite important to determine on flow and and yeah, like you said, um, the uh, we we do sort of um, uh, cytogenetics and. Um, uh, a, a test called FISH uh, for fluorescent in situ hybridization uh, to look at the, the genetic changes in these uh, plasma cells because um, uh, they are a number which uh, uh, do, you know, it, it helps prognosticate. Um, which uh, which are the bad ones? Like, should we know what the bad prognostic? Yeah, so, so yeah, so 414, uh, it, there's quite a few um, bad ones, but uh, in general, um, sort of 4, 414, uh, deletion 17, translocation 414, deletion 17P, and translocation 
14, 16 are the sort of the well um, established sort of uh, bad ones. But the, um, the, the other ones that the IMWG uh, group have uh, considered uh, bad as well, like 14, 20 and, and gain uh, 1Q um, as well. Yeah. So they, these are, um, yeah, these are the, the one that we would consider high risk. And um, they, these are patients who, um, yeah, would, would do poorly compared to those who did not have these uh, genetic. Do, do you look at that group, Jeremy, who've got the poor prognostic uh, genetics? Yep. And yep. do you say, okay, well, we've worried about this group in particular um, yep. because of that, and we're going to go really hard yep. now? Yep. Maybe we'll come to that. But is, is, there, is yep. there a different protocol for those patients? We'll come to that later, mate. Yes, yeah. There is. Okay. We're going to yep. go hard on those people. We're going to treat them more aggressively. More yeah. aggressively. Yeah. Okay, so we've got some things that can happen. Um, we talked at the start those crab uh, features. Yeah. Um, so renal impairment. Why do we get renal impairment? Tell us about that. So yeah, the uh, common um, mechanism for renal impairment um, is is you know due to the light chain deposition um, in in the sort of the renal tu- tubules, right. uh, and the other reason is is uh, uh, for the renal impairment that can be a reason for renal impairment is is hypercalcemia. Um, as well, um, in about yeah, it does occur in about twenty to forty percent uh, of, of patients. Of so, the, so the osteoclasts are kind of well, the plasma cells are eroding away the bone. Yeah, and then the, the calcium is as part of that process. The calcium is getting released. Yeah, from, yeah. from damaged, impaired bone. Yeah, yeah, and spews out into the bloodstream. And yeah, it'll also foul up the kidneys, just like the um, just like the light chains can if they pass down. So yeah. it's. If if you've got just if you're just creating heavy like intact ten immunoglobulin and yeah eighty percent do that then you're not going to get the renal impairment from that method is only going to be- not, yeah not not com- not common although you you can get heavy chain deposition in in the kidneys kidneys as well but usually uh, more commonly with sort of myeloma is due to the the sort of cast nephropathy or the, okay. the yeah. Do you yeah. see hyperuricemia and I've read amyloid is, you know, one of the complications could be amyloid. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Uh, protein. It just gets more and more complicated. But do yeah. you see that very often, Jeremy? Yeah. It can be uh, associated with, with myeloma, um, like you mentioned, and, and usually uh, patients with sort of light chain, um, a disease. So we, we would, um, uh, we, we sort of, I guess we, we would sort of, uh, look at did they have any symptoms uh for for amyloid um and and uh you know i, I would usually screen the, the bone yes. marrow and do a congruent uh, yes. stay right. yeah yeah is, is that renal impairment is it bad enough to push them into renal failure jeremy do you see yeah. that do you see yeah. Yeah. Analysis and it, it, it can yeah yeah it can yeah so you know you, you yeah. can't get uh, uh, particularly sort of obviously if they, if they present uh, late, um, a late diagnosis, you know, we, we do have patients come into emergency with, with you know, acute renal impairment, some even needing um, um, dialysis as well. So, yeah, so it's um, a very, can yeah. be a very serious problem. Yeah. What about the bone, the bone disease that we see with myeloma? Tell us yeah. about so I think that, uh, you know, the lytic lesions, um, yeah, it's probably, you know, probably the most common symptom. Almost 80% of patients have it. Um, and, and usually it, it can, you know, present uh, from a, 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 even a, a particular fracture from minimal trauma. Um, I think, um, uh, 
back pain is probably quite common and sort of uh, the lesions uh, uh, sort of or fractures in the spine that's sort of uh, quite common as well. Uh, and, and that's probably one of the reasons why that uh, extra slim criteria uh, in, includes, um, you know, small spinal lesions uh, that can only be detectable by MRI. So, um, but yeah, so the bone lesions are, are probably, the, you know, the more common yes. uh, uh, yeah, uh, reasons. Uh, and, and I think now, especially now that we're moving, you know, doing a, a CT skeletal survey um, upfront compared to, um, I think, you know, back in the days where it would be x-ray. And, and so CT is much more sensitive to, to pick up these uh, bone lesions now. Right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. Uh, the anemia we talked about early on uh, through uh, clonal expansion and this has got a chronic inflammatory effect, I guess, from having myeloma. So that their name is kind of explained. Recurrent infections. Do you see many people with like is is yeah. So so it is. Yeah. How often is that seen? It, it's probably it's probably um, uh, that you know more uh, less conventional presentation in in myeloma. You know, I think. Um, I don't have a percentage, but it's always at the, the back of our mind um, uh, that patients can can present uh, this way. You, you do get um, an, an immune dysfunction um, in in patients with with myeloma, uh, sort of you know just from impaired lymphocyte function, yes. you know, suppression of normal plasma cell function, um, and 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 even hypogammaglobulinemia. So they're they you know they're at risk of uh, infection caused by uh, encapsulated bacteria. I, I've seen a few patients who've presented with uh, you know streptococcus pneumonia uh, and and obviously Haemophilus influenza as the other. Uh, 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 bacteria as well. So, um, and and not I guess not not only from that they they can you you not only get anemia from from the bone marrow infiltration, but often you can get neutropenia as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, another very important thing to think about when you're seeing someone. I guess with uh, recurrent infections and mild yeah. anemia, we should all be thinking about. Ooh, let's do. An electrophoretogram. Uh, uh, exactly. So, yeah. So the present we've talked about the presentation, the bone pain, the anemia, um, renal impairment, calcium issues. Uh, yeah. Your workup. What's helpful for you as a clinician to have a patient referred in from yeah. primary practice? What, what sort of tests do you want to see done before they yeah. come, before the patient yeah. comes to you? Yeah. So. Uh, you know, I think we, we can't do without the full blood count um, and, and film. Uh, and often, um, in in with a you know high total protein, um, uh, some of these patients will have uh, rulo, which is sort of you know sticking off the red blood cells, which would be mentioned in, in the film. Yes. Um, and you know, some very rarely they they can get circulating plasma cells uh, in the film, which in itself is is. Uh, you know, a bit of a bad prognostic marker as well. What, what was that one? What, what the, is plasma cells in in um, oh. in blood in the blood field. So, yes. Yeah, so so uh, it's not common, and so we we don't want to see that, but no. usually no. we we do. And um, uh, yeah, there have been um, increasing studies that have, have shown that um, that's uh, a, a bad prognostic uh, sign. Um, as well, um, and yeah, and and sort of uh, there's also a certain percentage where you can actually um, become what we call plasma cell uh, leukemia, um, which in itself it, it's a it's a bad um, uh, 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 prognostic marker as well. If, if you if you if you have 
uh, if you have, you know, if you meet the criteria for passport cell leukemia. Um, the, yeah, the other things would be sort of, yeah, your biochemistry, um, in kidney function, uh, liver function often, uh, you know, gives you, uh, what raised you, lobulins. Yeah, 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 raised lobulins, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, a raised total protein, uh, albumin gap. I think that's often a clue when you, yes. uh, uh, particularly for JPs when you see a, a total protein, yes. you yes. know, that's, in the setting of an anemia. In the setting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Is, um, is it helpful to, for you to have the patients, well, they'll have the serum EPG and the urine. Yeah. That, that goes without saying, I guess. Yep. But would you also want a skeletal survey done? And if you. Yeah, I think that that's helpful. Um, yeah. By a CT? But yeah, by a CT yeah, or brain yeah. CT, CT skeletal survey is, is so, yeah, it's what we would. Just do up front now. Skeletos, uh, uh, x-rays, um, yeah, they, they can't detect the small, uh, lesions and yeah, CTs usually, yeah. you know, it's easily, uh, available now. So yeah, a lot of GPs can do that. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, so serum protein electrophoresis, free light chains is the other, other tests that should be done. Uh, I think the, the urine, um, at least a spot urine, um, I think the, the 24 hour urine is not commonly, Done now, but um, at least a spot urine looking nice. for, for protein urea uh, is important um, as well. Um, yeah, in, uh, yeah. In your, when they see you, you're going to do as a hematologist, you're going to do the bone marrow and yep. you do the cytogenics and the, the fish you mentioned. Yeah, yep. some prognostications. There are yep. other things that you use in prognosticating um, yep. uh, for patients, like the beta two. Yeah. LDH and so forth. Like, should they be done before the patients are sent in, or is that something you generally would? Um, I mean, that that's that's you know that's a prognostication score for you know symptomatic myeloma per se. So I mean, yeah, that, it, it that does. Not, diagnosis is made. Yeah, yeah. So if that's not done, you know, um, yeah. uh, okay. yeah, it, tell us about the beta two microglobulin. I understand that that's sort of part of that MHC complex. So it, it tells us about cell turnover generally um sort of yeah it's 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 sort of on um on on a marker um on, on the membrane of the cells so it's usually raised in in renal impairment um per se um uh, ldh is probably what we look at as more of a mark of cell turnover um but they are both um uh, included as along with albumin as well um, in in the um, international um, staging system, which is used to to uh, characterize sort of I guess yeah help prognosticate myeloma um, uh, and and they um, and there's now the revised um, ISS um, which includes the the fish results as well mm-hmm. um, yeah so. It's it's I guess yeah it's it's um it's something that we we do use um, but there there's sort of other uh, other more pro- other prognostic factors as as well uh, you know things like age performance status comorbidities I think th- those play a, a role as well um, and I think in terms of how well someone uh, responds uh, re- responds to to you know upfront therapy and how soon they relapse from that that upfront therapy and and those are what we call, uh, you know, functional high risk. You know, those patients who relapse, you know, within twelve to eighteen months of their di- diagnosis. Um, yeah. Well, there's a, there are a lot of treatments. We've talked about NGAS, and you get a monitor in that group, but in myeloma. 
once you've established this diagnosis and yeah uh, yeah you, you know we talked a little bit about you know prognostic factors earlier and how you might change your treatment but there are a lot of treatments uh, yep. how do you approach them all i've got thalidomide cyclophosphamide yep. and um, yep. gosh things i've never heard of proteasome inhibitors yes There's a lot of stuff monoclonal antibodies. Yep. take us through it uh give us a thumbnail sketch what do you do yeah, so it's 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 often when patients have established symptomatic uh, myeloma, and we uh, in general uh, don't treat CM gas and small group myeloma. Uh, but there is a trend, um, more and more, uh, you know, trials coming up showing um, in terms of high risk smoldering myeloma. There's sort of uh, a different, uh, uh, you know, again a score. I think we, we love scores yeah. as patients. You get it. You get it. Sort of strangle that disease before it gets up and yeah yeah so so i think the high risk spotting myelomas are the ones that uh will you know are high risk of progress progression so mm -hmm. there's a lot of um there is still a degree of controversy but in general we, we treat patients who have you know that established yes. symptomatic criteria um obviously we take into account comorbidities and, and performance status uh and in in you know it's sort of yeah based on that um, it's sort of uh, the treatment paradigm sort of separated into transplant in, uh, eligible and transplant um, ineligible. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, and, and based, uh, you know, the eligibility for transplantation is sort of based on their age, comorbidities, frailty, uh, and we, we do it up to uh, 70 to 75 years old in, in Australia. Uh, and, and this is in, in myeloma, the upfront transplant is, is an autologous uh, stem cell uh, transplant. Um, so, uh, what what in in the so talking about the transplant eligible population so they um at at this point in time um they would have an induction uh, therapy and that would be a, a combination of a proteus and Protosome inhibitor called bortezomib um, uh, and uh, immunomodulatory. Tell us about that. I've looked at that. It has to do with garbage disposal systems. <laughs> what are they talking about there? Yeah. It somehow, if you don't inhibit it, it fouls up the garbage disposal systems of the cell. <laughs> that should be used in every sort of cancer. I mean, that I mean, I mean, that's just I mean, for a gastroenterologist. That's all I can understand about. I mean, all, all all of this, I, I guess they they regulate. Um, you know, the survival of, of the plasma cells and, and cause right. apoptosis, um, right. of the, uh, the, 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 the plasma cells essentially. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and, um, and, and, and yeah. So, the, so that those are the proteasomes, uh, inhibitor right. inhibitors. Um, uh, and then it, it's combined with, um, uh, an immunobodulatory uh, agent called, uh, lenalidomide. Uh, and also this, this also, uh, uh, targets the proteasome and also has other uh, immunomodulatory uh, effects as well. Um, and then um, and that's like thalidomide like uh, yeah so yeah sort of the same oh okay. family as thalidomide um, and, and there's a newer generation nice. uh, called um, pomalidomide as well and then and then yeah we combine it with um, dexamethasone yes um, obviously with steroids which has sort of it's a it's a well used drug in myeloma with sort of uh, anti proliferative um, uh, myeloma effects um, and yeah so they usually um, go different institutions have different practice but yes. in general um, they'll uh, they'll have um, three cycles of of the, the the this combination of this chemotherapy uh, one cycle is usually about uh, four weeks. 
Uh, and then after 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 they've um, had this induction course of therapy, um, then we would go on to um, mobilize their stem cells, um, and this can be done uh, with with um, cyclophosphamide chemotherapy uh, along with um, uh, uh, granulocyte stimulating factors or, or GCSF uh, is probably what. what okay, there's a lot of science in yeah. here, isn't there? People working <laughs> on how you do this. Well, yeah, so it's so really difficult. But yeah, I mean, we, we, um, I mean, yeah. So, so as I said, the stem cells can be mobilized, um, either with, um, cyclophosphamide and, 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 um, uh, GCSF, or sometimes we just do, do it with GCSF alone. Um, and, uh, yeah, what happens is, is, um, the patients have, um, the cyclophosphamide, um, uh, uh, on one day. And then for the next about 10 days, they inject the GCSF. Every day, um, and yeah, what happens is when you give a dose of cyclophosphamide, um, that not only um, uh, helps to sort of kill off the myeloma, that you know it's got um, uh, DNA killing uh, effects. So, um, and then obviously it also um, would, in some sense, you know, kill off you know whatever cells are in your bone marrow and then and then about 10 days later your bone marrow starts to recover uh and along with the the gcsf that's when you 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 help stimulate the bone marrow um and and you know that's when it makes a lot of those stem cells um and then they uh, get sort of attached to an apheresis machine and and that's when we we uh collect the stem cells from from their peripheral blood um so that's yeah that's how we we mobilize the stem cells uh usually process can take up to sort of one to three days uh to to collect enough stem cells mm-hmm. um so that that's that's yeah that's the first part i guess to uh, having a transplant is to 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 get stem cells and then usually um patients will have uh you know uh, another cycle of the chemo um and then depending on their response then they'll go on to to have that um autologous stem cell transplant um which uh, involves um giving them a, a high dose chemotherapy called called melphalan um and uh, and then the next day they they get re- the stem cells get that reinfused uh, into back into them and and most of the time this is done as an inpatient they'll be um in the hospital for about 2 to 3 weeks um and um yeah so so after the chemos infused and after the stem cells infused the next day um probably about Sort of five to six days later, uh, when they can, uh, they will start developing the cytopenias, um, uh, particularly neutropenia and and thrombocytopenia, yeah. um, and and that's the very dangerous. Part. Yeah. yeah, that's the part where they can get sick, and we try and support them, um, these patients as much as we can, um, and uh, yeah, probably about sort of eleven to twelve days, it's when their their blood counts start recovering. Um, and and majority of patients go home between two to three weeks um, uh, from from when they had their. Jeremy, their what's the success of that? That very intense, complex. Uh, yeah. So what, so yeah, they yeah. So it, it's the, they've done obviously they've done trials to to assess you know the stem cell transplant compared to um, patients who have you know just go on to have chemo the chemo therapy. um yeah and uh in terms of um uh, progression free survival uh, it's about sort of about it gives them about a four year um a pfs um before 
you know, needing to go on another another line of of treatment. Um, obviously, no, no, no treatment. Um, no myeloma therapy is is, is curable uh, at this point so in time. Have, yeah. So, do you, do you have? Uh, I've read the survival sort of in that you know lowish fifties, five five years survival in those fifties, which yeah. is a big improvement from what it used to be. But are the long term survivors f- of myeloma? Uh, Jeremy, or is that yeah, in yeah, yeah? How rare is that? Is that is that unlikely to, that we'd see it? Or I think yeah. I mean, obviously, it depends on their their risk profile yeah, yeah. as well. So great, good risk profile that they've had an autologous transplantation yeah, and they've yeah. responded well. What yeah. what percent could you would you know at the percent that maybe go on for a de- like progression free survival? Let's say 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think. I think uh, you know that there's probably some patients that that, that sort of eight to ten year, I'd say ten to twenty percent uh, may get beyond yes. get that. And I guess a lot of the, those patients are that. Well, we're talking the average age is about seventy when they're diagnosed. So yeah, yeah, those, those people so younger, yeah, younger patients. Um, and you know, I think obviously that the the younger you are, um, the the more likelihood that you're able to withstand the intensities of, of the yes. therapies um, yeah. as well compared it to... intense. But what about those patients who aren't, uh, aren't uh, like put up for an autologous stem cell transplant for yeah. a range of reasons, they're not fit enough or whatever? Yeah. What, what do they... You, you'll you approach that with just the chemotherapies? That yeah, so, so um, yeah, it, it would be, uh, you know, if, if they are... Um, sort of relative, relatively fit enough. We do use the same regimen, uh, but at, at a, obviously at a, a reduced dose. Um, um, otherwise, some of them uh, may may just have uh, you know two agents, lidocaine and, and steroids, um, or some of them even just uh, a botezomib and, and steroids. So, are they uh, continued the, longish term? They- um, yeah. So, so yeah. After that uh, induction period um, of of treatment, even with the um, the stem cell transplant patients, we then uh, put patients on uh, onto a maintenance therapy, um, and often it would be lenalidomide. So, yeah. So mo- most of the um, yeah, even even the transplant uh, ineligible patients, um, we would you know we would give them maintenance therapy um, as well. You know, that, not, not with the proteasome inhibitors, but the but the, the sometimes the proteasome inhibitor at, at a less uh, frequency, um, or, or yeah, or, or lenalidomide on its own. We uh, you know often sort of titrate it to to what toxicities they have and. Yes. Um, and and I think yeah, it's always that balance between you know giving them something efficacious and and toxicity as uh, yeah. balancing the toxicity as well. So yeah, often yeah we we try and um, put put patients on maintenance to try and suppress you know the myeloma clone as, as much as we can. Yes. Um, and but you know if there's toxicities, then another sometimes another approach would be to to just watch. Yes. Um, uh, watch patients. Um, yeah. Jeremy, can I ask a little bit of radiation as well? Because yes. yeah. a lot of the patients will receive radiation to the bones too. Yeah, yeah, and and you know that, that area. That's yeah. a that's a, that's a um, you know there's a lot of other aspects of treatment. Yes, it's well, complicated. Yeah, therapy like like you said, um, uh, radiation. You know, obviously it's used in that um, you know emergency 
uh, cold compression uh, setting um, uh, as well, um, but also you know even just for um, uh, pain uh, relief, that's uh, often uh, a very effective uh, uh, treatment. Uh, you know for bony pain, and so often we, we do refer patients on, um, and and obviously you know the the bisphosphonates are an important aspect of of the treatment as well to prevent you know further skeletal related uh, events. And Jeremy, I imagine there is there are other factors that come into play that the, the um, venous thromboembolism risk and of course yeah. the pain you mentioned the emotional yeah. effects because it's a long ongoing treatment and it's yes. it's, yeah. a, it, it's it's you know difficult for patients, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot so, of that you have to deal with as a clinician. Yeah, you know, I think um, you know, with myeloma itself, it's it's pro uh, thrombotic. Um, you know, any malignancy in some senses and and, and uh you know ledonolamide or, or the immune image or immunomodulators they they are also uh, pro-thrombotic so often these patients will be on, on some kind of um vte prophylaxis um and yeah i think you know i think at the start it's a lot a lot to take on um and you know it, in some sense it, it has become a bit like a, a, a chronic disease. Like some patients have, have been, you know, living with the disease, you know, o- over the years. Um, and we, I think, in in, in Peter Mac, we we try and um, uh, involve our, our palliative care team um, quite early on in, in terms of just providing, uh, you know, supportive care uh, as well. Um, and 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 you know, in terms of. The, the psychosocial support and even you know the the aspect of the pain relief and analgesia. Um, I think, I think you know because the management because you're you're helping patients live a lot longer. You know we're seeing yeah. practice yeah. that that you're, you're now on confronting like different problems have been confronted by clinicians, aren't they? And as you yeah. say, it's becoming yeah. more of a chronic disease. Yeah. What's yeah. the future? There, there are other sorts of things uh, that are that maybe are on the future. Can you tell us a bit about that? Monoclonal antibodies and the DCS yeah. yeah. inhibitors, are they things that are already, are they already there for use or are yeah. they sort of breaking? Yeah, so, so the monoclonal, the monoclonal yeah. antibodies are, uh, you know, are here um, already. So daratumumab, um, you know, it's a, it's a uh, monoclonal antibody uh, against CD38, which is on, on uh, not only on plasma cells, but some of the uh, regulatory T cells, which, which do have a immunosuppressive effect on, on the bone marrow microenvironment. So that's yeah, that's already uh, available uh, on on the PBS uh, at sort of uh, second uh, relapse. So that's yeah, and, and um, there's also another one that uh, just got. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to ask you what they grab <laughs> hold of that that CD38, do they? And what do they do? They 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 bind to that that cell marker. How how, how does that? Ah uh, yes, yeah. So so the the antibody binds to. CD38, which is uh, you know a target on the plasma cells, and then it it's, uh, it has sort of FFC mediated immune effector type mechanism, sort of um, break the cell, uh, yeah, sort of toxic killing uh, mechanism, yeah. Right. Okay. So that's an interesting little missile you guys have got. What, what about yeah. those deacetylase? Well, we talked a bit about those. I think the deacetylase inhibitors earlier. Are there, are there any other sorts of things on the the future? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think the the uh, up up and coming treatment. I think with with myeloma, um, and and I think with you know uh, myeloma patients, um, I think a lot of. Uh, 
uh, talk about immune therapies, as, as I mentioned, uh, you know, CAR T cells uh, or chimeric antigen receptor T cells uh, and, and the other form of immune therapy uh, is called bispecific antibodies. Um, and yeah, both, you know, have shown uh, quite promising results in, you know, multiply relapsed patients. These are patients who have had five or six lines of, of uh, treatment. Um, and, you know, they, they usually uh, don't survive uh, longer than, than six months. But, you know, th- these therapies have, have shown quite promising results um, in these, you know, multiple relapsed patients. So there's, you know, we, we are trying to bring uh, these therapies um, sort of more, more, more into, yeah, the, the sort of the first and second line when the T cells are, are you know, not, not so exhausted or, or heavily pretreated. And when, yeah, when, when the plasma cells have not seen so much chemotherapy uh, before. So, yeah, uh, I'm not sure how, how much you want me to go in detail. Uh, uh, no, that's very helpful. I mean, I think we're saying yeah. it's just the, my, my uh, I've got a very rudimentary understanding of immunology, uh, nothing like yours. But yeah. one of the things that's really impressed me by you know, talking with people like yourself and others is just how our understanding of biology and cell uh, it, cell structure, cell um, immunology, it's just yeah. really it's opened up these new vistas, hasn't it? New frontiers of treatment and uh you know i think it's just we're just so lucky to have people like you jeremy uh you you know and uh, your your (laughs) wonderful colleague tom working in uh hematology at peter mac uh and you know obviously you've got a great future ahead of you um bringing those treatments and you're talking about the microenvironment of the um the the clonal plasma clones in the bone marrow how that might influence treatment that's all incredibly exciting so look i want to thank you very much for your research and also taking the time to talk to me i'd like to ask you um it's been extremely helpful today thank you very much and i'd like to ask you the best advice you've been given uh just give us impart that little bit of wisdom uh jeremy best advice you've been given you know as a young youngish doctor training um I think yes, as a young youngish doctor in, in training, I think um, the, I think the best advice I've been given is to yeah fo- follow your heart, uh, do what gives you the the most uh, job satisfaction, uh, and and like uh, yeah do do what you're interested in at, at the end of the day. I think yeah we get I think we get a lot of um, different uh, advices or different influences. Um, yeah, but I think you know do do what you would like to do um you know in, in sort of that five to ten years time where where do you see yourself what you're interested in um and yes. yeah i think oh, if you, oh, yeah. that's yeah. been a very common it's been a very common uh <laughs> response when i've asked that question the other one has been you know sort of trying to establish a nice you know mentor in your life and yeah yeah i think that's been very important for people as well jeremy yeah. i really appreciate you taking the time and yep. uh, wish all the very best with your studies and research. I'm looking forward to hearing more, maybe talking with you again at some point in the future when you know, a little bit more is known. So thank yep. you again so very much, Jeremy. My, my pleasure. Thank, okay. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining me in this conversation with Jeremy Err about multiple myeloma. I think he did an incredible job expanding our knowledge on this subject, this difficult and complex subject, and simplifying a lot of the key points. I do wish him all the very best in his PhD, in which he's studying growth factors and how they may influence myeloma growth. 
Uh, During the podcast series, we will be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed and may be emailed to manager at gihealth.com.au.